But who do you say I am? Jesus looks at his inner circle of disciples and awaits an answer. He's taken them through a whirlwind of events. He's provided miraculous meals for a group of 4,000, a group of 5,000. He speaks to a raging, life-threatening sea and tells it to peace, be still. He's just cured the Canaanite woman's daughter, and people are still reeling from that encounter. So maybe the disciples are simply tuckered out. For all Jesus gets is a long, drawn-out silence. But who do you say I am? Some of the disciples can't come up with better answers than they've just offered when he asked the broader question, who do people outside of this circle say that I am? Some of them had answered, you're John the Baptist 2.0. You're Elijah. You came back from heaven. I remember I've heard stories. Elijah went out in a blaze of glory and didn't really die. Maybe you're him. Come back. Or you're Jeremiah, or you're one of the prophets. You're a modern-day prophet. But who do you say I am? And remember the setting here. This isn't uh, a cushy presidential's lounge at the local Fairmont Hotel. This is Jesus and his inner circle in the district of Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi. It's a Roman-ruled city about 40 kilometers north of the Sea of Galilee, a city that's known for multicultural god and goddess worship. It was originally called Peneus, Pan City. Pan is the Greek god of revelry. This is the kind of city that has hundreds of carvings in the rocky hillsides, those of idols, elaborate worship rituals, Shrines and temples are in abundance. They're in your face to entice and impress. If this was 2,000 years later, I think of New York City pre-COVID Times Square on a hot summer night. The billboards, the flashing lights all beckoning us, distracting us, inviting us to spend our energies and our resources and our affections upon them. Jesus asks his disciples, but who do you say I am? Finally, Simon Peter breaks the silence. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Ding, 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 it's a great answer. And Jesus says, makarios, congratulations, blessings. He offers another beatitude, and this time with an exclamation mark. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah! Exclamation mark. But just so this doesn't go to Simon's head, uh, Jesus adds, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And then Jesus reconfigures Simon's name. He changes the trajectory of his life. And he says, you are Peter. And it's a clever play on words because the Greek name Petros 
is pretty close to the Greek word Petra. It's almost like Jesus is giving Peter a nickname and saying, you are rocky. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the doors of the world of death will not prevail against it. So much happening in so few sentences here. Jesus is going to build his church on Peter? Really? Is Peter to be trusted? And next week, in a matter of minutes, if you peek ahead in this conversation, you will see Peter's fallibility. But for now, the good news is that Jesus entrusts his church into ordinary laboring hands and hearts like Peter and his disciples. And Jesus isn't building the church on us or on Peter, but Jesus builds the church with Peter, with the disciples, with us. And so I've called today's sermon, Rocks Are Us, because we do this work together. Jesus says, I will build my church It's still his church, thanks be to God, but he builds it on rock piles of people like Peter and his young adult buddies. And he builds his church on the intergenerational movement of First Baptist Church and thousands and thousands of other rock piles around the globe. That's a ton of grace, isn't it? It's a ton of faith poured out on us entrusted in us by Jesus. And what are we supposed to do with all this grace, with all this faith, with all this trust gifted to us? Well, taking our cues from Peter, our calling and our holy vocation, so to speak, is to live out and proclaim this message of declaration that he proclaimed. You are the Messiah the Son of the living God. And so let's pause and maybe parse out that sentence for a few minutes here. You are the Messiah. Messiah means anointed one, and it implies that the anointed one comes to save us. And so what does that look like and sound like when we talk of one who is sent and appointed to save all of creation and all the cosmos? We are to point to the Son. For Peter and his disciples standing in that place in Caesarea uh, Philippi amidst all the gods and deities of their age, Peter recognizes that the one who stands before him is the Son of God. He is known as Jesus. Of the living God, that phrase finishes. This son, Jesus, sent by and enlivened by the Spirit in the midst of all the dead idols and statues that loom before them, Peter names Jesus as the living God. A God who is alive in their midst, prompting, convicting, moving, consoling, encouraging a living God who we've already spoken of many times in our prayers and our hymns today, a God who is our rock, a God who speaks of power and steadfast love. 
So this was the revelation for Peter and his disciples. And it's the revelation for us to live out in these days. But what of these words about keys and loosening and binding? Jesus promises Peter and us that we are given keys to the kingdom. And whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Hmm? And of course, there's been thousands of years of reflection and writing about what this really means for the church. But there are many who would propose that the keys and the binding and the loosening is again tied to Peter's fantastic proclamation about Jesus. We have been given the keys to understanding the way of God. We've even prayed it today in the Lord's Prayer. We pray, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we seek to join God in being the answer to that prayer, we hold and put into action keys that unlock the doorways to life, healing, grace, mercy, reconciliation. We open and release Jesus' way into the world. It's a way of justice. It's a way of peace. It's a way of liberation and love. And in the midst of offering and living this Jesus' way, we find that some things then get bound up. We bind up hate. We bind up greed and violence and envy and hypocrisy, division and destruction. And then we loosen life. We loosen shalom, peace, and well-being in the world. God's kingdom and dream for the world being loosened. God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. I was reminded of a a phrase from St. John of the Cross, the Christian mystic of the late 1500s. And this phrase, I think, puts into practice binding and loosing. He writes, where there is no love, put love, and you will draw out love. Where there is no love, put love, and you will draw out love. And upon this rock, the rock of a God who is saving and rescuing and redeeming through the presence of Jesus, upon this rock, a living God builds the church of Christ. And the doors of the world of death will not prevail against it. So how might this way chip out amongst us in the days ahead? If you've been journeying with us through our summer services, we've talked lots about Jesus. And you've heard lots of Jesus stories. And so why don't we pause for a moment and and begin some reflection that we might continue to play out this week. Jesus asks us, individually and corporately, who do you say I am? How might our answer echo and be influenced by Peter's astounding A-plus, keenest kid in the class answer? I hope it emboldens us. Peter saying, you are the son of the living God. 
I hope it helps us put on display the convictions and heart of Jesus, that we might join God in God's work of saving the world, bringing hope and healing and forgiveness to those that we serve with, those that we work with, those that we will encounter this week in person or through virtual visits even. We've got good news to share. Jesus comes to save. Jesus consoles us. Jesus is the face of the living God. And our living God, we often say, is on the loose, showing up in places that might surprise us this week, but places where we might bring comfort, care, companionship. And how about us as a community of faith? What are we saying about Jesus these days? For 127 years, we've been a church in the city that has been seeking to be a Christ-filled presence in the heart of the city. And in the past, I've shown you this opening program of First Baptist Church from November 12th, 1905. And one of the phrases that I love about this uh, bulletin of worship is that on the back it says, Strangers made welcome. Right is the closing line on the back of this bulletin. Strangers made welcome. And it warms my heart to be a part of this 127-year story of a people who have been making a place for strangers, making a place for underdogs, for the least for the last, for the lost. And so we pray that we might continue to do that good and holy and gracious and redeeming work in our city and beyond. In practical ways, if you haven't seen our website lately or if you're new to our church, you might go to uh, the About Us section of our website and see a portion of the statements and the identity statement that we adopted a couple of years ago. And this, to me, feels like a pretty clear example of what we are saying about Jesus and what it means to follow his lead in these days. We've written this paragraph that says, Celebrating the God-given worth of every person, we seek to worship and act in solidarity with people displaced, silenced, and harmed by injustice. We have much to learn as we undertake the difficult work of healing relationships damaged by our complicity with and indifference to forms of oppression. These include, but are not limited to, racism, sexism, homophobia, colonialism, and classism. When FBCers talk about putting into practice the message of a living God, these are the ideas that form and inform us as we seek to be a people who join God in rescuing all of creation from the doors of the world of death. We want to be this kind of church Another phrase that we often use is we want to be strong, generous Christians who follow Jesus for the good of the world. And I hope when 
people are talking about First Baptist Church, maybe that's what they say about us. Yeah, those are some strong, generous Christians there. And strong means we're, we're robustly Christian. But generous means at the same time we radically and generously put on display Jesus' heart of welcome and hospitality. And we put into practice how we might lead and love and include and make a place for all. Like that back of the bulletin, we make strangers welcome. All who seek Christ are welcome in this place. That's what it means for us to rock on as FBCers in these days. And so we pray that in the honor of the Son, alongside our Christian brother Petros, that we might have that solid reputation for being chips off the old block. And we give thanks to our living God, our refuge, and our rock.